10 banks bite the dust in two weeks and time for a real nuclear debate coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 8th of December 2022. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party organiser and researcher Glenn Isherwood. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the 10 regional communities that are about to lose a bank, uh, six of them, their last remaining bank. This, this is um, very, very bad. So we'll go through some mm -hmm. of the details of that. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the nuclear debate that's arisen uh, in a renewed way this week with the interventions of the South Australian Premier uh, and why that debate has never been a properly executed debate. It's been done on spurious grounds, mm -hmm. so we need a mm -hmm. real one. Mm -hmm. um, if you like the show, hit the like button. That'll get it circulating further. Subscribe and ring the notifications bell and you'll get any new updates that we put out from the channel. And share this as widely as you can. Comment below as well. Any questions and so forth, Glenn will answer them all. <laughs> I will. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one, no. Um, <laughs> I'm not that much of a know-it-all. <laughs> now, our first topic, um, 10 banks bite the dust in two weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, we've been mm -hmm. talking about since the Regional Banking Task Force put out its report several weeks ago uh, that already from that date, uh, 71 to 73 banks have announced they're going to be closing their branches. Mm -hmm. And as we've said it in previous shows, and you can look at Dale Webster's uh, website, the regional, to see the full details of this, basically that banking task force gave the green light because it said, ah, oh, people can use bank at post and so forth. It, it essentially said, go ahead and close. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, given the imprimatur of the government by this task force being approved by the incoming Labor government, even though it was conducted um, ahead of the election by mm -hmm. the Morrison government, um, to allow these, you know, wave of closures. So in the next two weeks, just the next two weeks, 10 banks are closing. So in six of those towns, and we'll put these up on the screen, um, these towns are losing their last remaining banks. So this is in um, Bombala, New South Wales, Dysart, Queensland, Tom Price, WA, Wongan Hills, WA, Manham Bank, sorry, Manham, South Australia, Yankalilla, South Australia, and the other four towns um, that are losing a bank but it won't be their last bank are Collie in WA, Bridgetown in WA, Vincentia in New South Wales and Laidley, Queensland. And on top of that, uh, banks have given notice to 35 more towns that they will be closing branches in the first half of 2023. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole um, roster of banks that are getting ready to close banks, save money, put everyone uh, on digital services, even mm -hmm. though, as we'll go through today, there's lots of people that are going to be left out in the lurch because of this. Mm -hmm. Um, before we go into the detail, we'll tell people what we want you to do because this is critical in this next two-week period. Um, call Treasurer Jim Chalmers. If you do nothing else, and there's a lot more you can do, but if you do nothing else, call his office. Mm -hmm. Elisa, we got a compliment from a staffer in Canberra the other day um, 
this staffer said, there's nothing like the Citizens Party to melt the phone lines of Canberra. And the instructions to everyone watching today, and some have already started, I know uh, we launched into this mobilisation at the beginning of this week, is to call the Treasurer, call the members of Parliament from these 10 towns as a priority, but also call um, all of your MPs because these 35 towns that are going to lose their last remaining bank or banks in the early part of next year. So this is a wave. It's an aggressive and arrogant uh, decision being made by banks and we've got lots of predicates to go through. But the, the message for Jim Chalmers, specifically the buck stops with him. Mm. Now you might hear from officers and politicians and the staff of politicians that they like to pass the buck. They'll, like, they'll answer a phone call from you, the citizen, concerned citizen, and they'll say, oh, that's, uh, that's um, Joe Blow's portfolio, that's uh, John Smith's department. Mm -hmm. And they'll try and handball you off to some deputy or some minor insignificant person in Parliament and give you the runaround so they don't have to face the music. And so when Jim, Ch Jim Chalmers is the treasurer, and we saw an example recently where the Labor Party... Uh, lost its spine uh, and capitulated to the banks within 24 hours. The, uh, they made an agreement. The Labor Party made an agreement with the Greens, and this was reported on this show, uh, to introduce civil penalties for bank directors, mm. which is if a bank commits a crime, the boss gets the fine. He is punished. The boss gets punished. The banks didn't like it. So Anna Bly from the Bankers Association and these big bank executives, who did they call? They called Jim Chalmers. They called the treasurer. That's right. And I'm sure they've all got his number on speed dial. Those <laughs> bank executives, they don't go to some deputy or some minion or some staff uh, uh, subordinate. They go to the highest office in the land. So the reverse is true. Jim Chalmers can say, and this is what he should, first of all, he needs to publicly condemn this wave of bank closures. He has to say to the banks, you are betraying the population, you're betraying these communities, you need to put a stop to it. Just denouncing the banks in a public fashion as a government actually flexing some muscle is, is, is crucial. Yeah. Now, then the mechanisms come in because what do the banks enjoy? The banks enjoy implicit guarantees and protection from the government. There's only four companies in this country that can't go broke. Westpac, ANZ, National Australia Bank and the Commonwealth mm -hmm. Bank. They are the four pillars. Everyone says we've got this, you know, the strongest banking system in the world, blah, blah, blah. It's not true, but the government, the banks know that the government will come to their rescue. What are they giving back to the population for that benefit? Yeah. And, um, you know, in recent times have also shown that the banks are getting $150 billion of free money mm -hmm. through this term lending facility during covid they borrowed money for 0.1%, uh, and they don't have to pay that, though, that money back for four years, not until 2024. Yet they're charging you and me 3 4 5% on these, these, these rate hikes that the RBA's done. Um, so I think Jim Chalmers can say, mm. we're going to put an end to that. We're going to make yeah. you pay the rate like everyone else. Um, and, you know, if you want, uh, you know, want to have some negotiation, the first thing you do is support the population, not this uh, arrogance that, you know, we'll get into. I mean, it's case after case where yeah. 
it's they're like Darwin, you know, Darwin's theory, you know, uh, survival of the fittest. If you're disabled, you're old, you can't get to a bank, tough luck. Yeah. You've left behind. That's Adapt right. or die. That's, That's their right. Attacks. Yeah, no, yeah. and we'll go through that in living colour now. Um, mm. And we'll just also put a link below and we'll put it on the screen too for the, the 10 um, areas which are shutting banks in the next two weeks. And we've listed state, federal MPs, all the councils. So if you're in one of these areas or know someone who is, mm. let's mobilise because what we've already got going is rather extraordinary and there's possibly been nothing seen like it in this country's history, apart from perhaps when the union movements were first starting and they were organising under old labour, you know, to begin to um, fight for the development of the country, which was also a question of independence um, from the global banking uh, fraternity. So we, we're seeing, we'll go through a few examples. Juni Council, for example, in New South Wales is about to lose its last bank um, and they are putting up a huge fight and really giving the Commonwealth Bank a run for its money. I mean, Matt Common, uh, the CEO of the bank, was in Wagga recently mm -hmm. and a, um, an elderly resident in a wheelchair fronted him up and said, look, you know, you're telling the bank, you're telling people to go and bank at Bank at Post. There's not even a wheelchair ramp at mm -hmm. Bank at Post. Now, I mean, that was one thing that earned them a 12-week extension to keep the bank in town a little mm -hmm. longer. But So that's, you know, a small victory. But you see that if you get people mobilised, because this affects everybody and in just about every town across the country, and if you think of that, multiplied, that one woman multiplied in so many places all over mm -hmm. the country and bringing that fire to bear, that heat to bear on the Treasurer and the Government, um, what we can generate out of that can be enormous. Mm -hmm. The local mayor in, or one of the councillors or CEO maybe it was in June, did interviews about this with Prime 7 TV, with the local paper. Um, we've just had one of our organisers in town in Juni and in Wagga and the feedback he's getting going into the uh, licensed post office, which is one of the ones that happened to have known all about us because they fought with us on the Christine Holgate campaign, um, mm -hmm. took 150 flyers to get out in the area and so mm -hmm. forth. Um, and then you've got other areas like Coober where the citizens there are threatening to leave the local bank if it shuts down. Mm -hmm. So in other words, um, you know, that town, that bank can leave the town and expect to keep all its customers on digital. But if there's an alternative, mm -hmm. that which is our idea of having a post Important office bank. Important point, Elisa. The big four banks are acting this way because they know they don't have uh, competition. That's right. And, you know, I remember Ken Hayne, I can't find the video clip, it bugs me to this day, maybe someone can send yeah. it in. Ken Hayne asked the big four banks at the Royal Commission 2018, are you acting as one? Oh, are yeah. you acting as a cartel? And they didn't deny it. But all big four banks have the same calculus, the same decisions. Mm. They don't have a true competitor. So what are we putting forward? We're putting forward the fact that we need to legislate into existence a new bank, use the post offices as their network, but it's a public government bank, similar to what the Commonwealth Bank originally was. Mm. Put that into each post office as a plain vanilla alternative. Now, when this was done in New Zealand in the early 2000s, when it was done in 1912 with the Commonwealth Bank, suddenly, overnight, the new public bank opens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the population in town have an alternative to the private banks. And what do the private yeah. banks do? Suddenly, the bank closures all stop. They stop. 
they, uh, they lower their fees. They start to provide better customer service. Why? Because there's something that people can lean on and go to, mm. um, and it, it strikes fear into the private banks. Hence why they don't... They're going to lean on politicians to try and stop it, but we have to drive that forward. And as these banks are closing branches around the country, as reported to many of the, these councillors that are contacting us, mm -hmm. mayors and CEOs, they're saying... What's the alternative? What can we do? Yeah, and when they realise there is one, yeah. you know, that gives them a power they never thought they had. I mean, and a great, mm -hmm. another great example of the furor that's broken out is um, in Byron Bay. And mm -hmm. um, that's a council that debated our motion calling on the federal government to consider a postal bank and actually rejected it um, because of Labor and other people, political partisan people on the council. <clears throat> Yeah, it was pettiness, really. Yeah. Um, you have a few local councillors. They have their party affiliations, yeah. Greens, Labor, and, and they chose to play the man, not the ball. Yeah. They, so, they cited their... They said, we agree with a postal bank, but because the Citizens' Party's got involvement, yeah. we're going to turf it all out and, and, and poo-poo the whole idea. Yeah. Absolute local pettiness in the face of the fact that they're in a crisis of local banking... Um, and they got called out um, by the um, local press, which was great. Yeah, yeah, no, this is great. The local paper, the Byron Bay Echo, weighed into this debate. And they even quoted one of the councillors because um, this guy obviously listened to the, you know, they put online these days all the council mm -hmm. debates. Mm -hmm. So he quoted this local councillor who said, oh, if this was adopted, this would mean we would be a council that the Citizens' Party could name to further their campaign, which is about getting their message out there across the country. It's not about delivering on this policy. <laughs> um, but the council, uh, the, sorry, the editor of the paper, he, his, this editorial was called mm. Wokey Dokey, and he, he talked about how the motion for the Commonwealth Postal Savings Bank was rejected, um, and he read from the, mo he quoted the motion, he said, finally, you know, this came, because this came up, Finally, a truth bomb was let off in the chamber of unbearable self-belief and delusion. And he, he later said, it's not often that the Echo agrees with the mayor. In fact, this is perhaps the first time ever. Um, so he's not someone who generally would support this council. But um, he said, this is one of the rare times in history where governments could work in the interests of the people. And he cited the Commonwealth Bank Act 1911. Um, and then he just went through how outraged he was, he said here was um, a plan where there was no problem in principle put up by the council, um, but it was just about who was supporting the Pe bill. Petty point scoring locally. Um, uh, Robbie Barwick, who's usually on this program, not me, he made a very good point. When he goes up to the federal level of parliament, when you've got you know federally elected members, they don't have the luxury of small-minded pettiness like this, or less of a luxury, I should say. Um, up there in, in federal parliament, the Greens agree with the public postal bank. Uh, you know, One Nation agree with the public postal bank. We've had conversations with nationals, liberals and Labor backbenchers, some that are afraid to go public. They all support this idea mm. and they can find a way to work together. That's called yep. being an adult, being yep. mature, <laughs> not like this terrible display from Byron Bay. But good news is on the same night down the road at Ballina, that council, um, you know, they uh, supported the motion mm. supporting a public bank. And we're calling on all councillors, if you're watching and you're a councillor, put up a motion at your council meeting to pass this. If you're 
in touch with a counsellor, tell them to do it. Explain this idea and we can source all the material mm. for you. Uh, get in touch with us and we'll give you pointers and we, we can give you examples and samples of what councils have done. Mm. But it's all about that you know, pressure from the ground up uh, yeah. to reinforce the work that we're doing with the, the MPs uh, and senators in Canberra. And one of the other really interesting things that we're finding is mm. that um, the councillors are beginning to network amongst themselves. And, mm. you know, one councillor in particular from New South Wales is wanting to write to other councils all over the country in mm -hmm. a similar position mm -hmm. so that, you know, you get strength in numbers. Mm -hmm. And as I said, this is something we've not seen the likes of for a very long time in this country when you bring that kind of power base together mm -hmm. to fight for an issue like this that's going to get almost universal support. And that's why we want to go through some examples now that came up during the Regional Banking Task Force and some of the submissions, and there were uh, 416 submissions, and a lot of them were from local councils and community organisations that are all getting affected by branch closures. Mm -hmm. The submission from Choice, a consumer advocacy organisation, was one of those that um, highlighted a lot of different cases. They, had, they did a survey of 6,300 of their subscribers, including farmers, small business owners, financial counsellors and older Australians about their experiences with regional banking closures. And they cited a whole bunch of them in, its, in their submission, including um, the fact, you know, businesses can't get their um, takings banked, they can't get a float or local sports clubs and community groups that can't get change, etc., a lot of people that are vulnerable or marginalised that are excluded because they can't use digital services, they don't have digital literacy, they might be blind or disabled in some other way, they may not be able to travel to the next available bank, they may just simply be poor or not have a car, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they might have bad or no internet service, um, they might be an ANZ bank customer who can't use mm -hmm. Bank at Post mm -hmm. because ANZ never signed up to that deal. Um, and there's also requirement... Well, just on that, we have an example of that just the other day. In Seymour, yep. the ANZ Bank, uh, which closed during the flooding, uh, Seymour, you know, got whacked with all those, uh, the, the, the floods. ANZ uh, closed and they said it was a temporary closure, but then they've turned around now and said it's permanent. Uh, one of the ANZ uh, locals, uh, customers, uh, went in to deposit money. Not to withdraw money, to, to deposit so it. So this is his business takings. Yeah, his, his, his earnings, yeah. And uh, he, he was met with the fact that the local bank shut. The nearest one was an hour drive to Roxburgh Park in the northern part of Melbourne. Uh, they said, oh, sorry, we don't take cash deposits on Tuesdays. You have to go somewhere else. <laughs> uh, so he went to the next one. And that was Broadmeadows, I believe. And the, the teller there said, oh, sorry, you can't deposit cash in our bank unless you email us ahead of time. So by this stage, this guy lost, <laughs> lost whatever composure he would. had, as you, uh, uh, as you would, yeah. Um, and the manager had to scramble and on an emergency basis allow an exception for this guy to deposit his cash earnings where he's just spent a whole day driving around to try and find an ANZ branch. So that's the case of Seymour um, getting kicked while they're down. But uh, yeah. yeah, and I want to go through some of these um, uh, examples that Choice provided. Dale Webster from the regional has been tweeting them and other examples that have come to her as well. 
So we'll just put these up on the screen from her tweets that have gone up and there's lots, lots more. I'll just cite a few of the classic examples. So someone in Bridgetown said um, the internet was down and no one could shop. That person couldn't buy fuel. The Bankwest ATM wasn't working, so it was out of order. Um, so you could only get cash from Westpac, but of course Westpac's one of these 10 banks that are closing down in the next two weeks. Um, another person said, I can't do internet banking at my age, poor eyesight and lack of dexterity means I can't accurately type. I mean, it's hard for the best of us. And fields and screens are difficult to work out. The accurate placement of a zero or a decimal point is critical. Um, a, a sports club treasurer that had a CBA account um, when the bank crowed with little notice said, you know, we still haven't found a close alternative. Another said internet banking is not good either. It's taken five months for the Commonwealth Bank to sort out my authority to pay invoices for the CWA. We're all volunteers and running farms. We don't have time to sort these messes out. Well, um, Lisa, I can add another predicate. This came from a phone call I had. It's not on this list, but I spoke oh, yeah. to the local fire department leader in Cuba PD. Now, they're, they're, taking, uh, they're losing their Westpac early next year, um, and we've featured their story. I mean, Jared Rennick brought it up in Parliament as well. Um, and he was telling me he they run social events in town. They need to reimburse uh, people who, and they use cash to reimburse, you know, people for their local club. Now, the, the nearest bank's going to be in Port Augusta, five hours away. Mm. And so they're looking at having to get someone, because they can't withdraw through the uh, the postal bank, the postal bank at post in Coopapedi because they require a signature on their withdrawals. It's a special club rules, whatever. They have to have someone in Coopapedi five and a half hours away to withdraw the money, put it in the post and send it up to them in some fashion for them to be able to use cash or have a cash flow in Coopapedi. Mm. That's what they're faced with. Um, so let's just yes. add that to this, predic this list here. Yeah. Similarly, um, you know, a lot of these areas don't have very good mobile phone reception. So this is another mm, example. Mm. I opened an account with Commonwealth Bank, but every transaction needs a mobile phone to retrieve a code. Mobiles do not work in my area. I have to travel several kilometres to retrieve that code. I still have not been able to set up my account as a result. That's the great digital solution. And the New South Wales Law Society put in a submission to that regional banking task force too, where they reported the same thing, that our members are reporting issues because they can't access online banking due to the use of security measures such as two-step verification process, which you need to have because of the fact of the fraud that's going on these days. I mean, how many Australians have just had all their details stolen from Medibank or Optus and so forth? I mean, another report came from the Berrigan uh, Shire Council that put a submission in to the mm -hmm. Regional Banking Task Force. This is extraordinary because they said um, older Austra and vulnerable Australians are reliant on neighbours and family to assist them with banking services, but some people have no family or friends that could help. So they go to the council, they go to the library, for instance, and this is what the, the submission says, through our customer service counter... Um, these individuals ask for assistance with setting up banking services on personal digital devices. To do so, they must rely on the honesty and integrity of a third party, which is sometimes council staff, exposing their private information and banking details. And they said this is exposing vulnerable Australians to fraudulent use of their funds with no protection for any losses incurred. Such access is contrary to designs of internet banking conditions and yet there are no technically no alternatives for these people. Mm. Now, 
there's, there were eight banks on this task force that would have read that submission. Uh, yeah. And they're okay with that, apparently. <laughs> you know, people giving out their passwords and usernames to mm. others in the town. Oh, uh, to them, it's a calculus, you know. They save money by shutting all these branches down, mm. don't have to employ any bank tellers, they uh, force everyone online. And, Elisa, I'm just coming back to it, uh, the, the importance of, you know, there's a lot of people out there with a market ethos, you know, that, that uh, you know, what's wrong with advancing into the internet age, you know, uh, adapt, uh, adapt to, the new, to the new age, you know, use internet banking. I use internet banking. Most people mm. I know do. And it's like if you get left behind, left behind too bad. But the point being is the competition that comes uh, with a public bank is, I think, the only way to address this because um, these private banks are going to only run for profit. And until there's something there as an alternative, mm. um, then this ain't going to change. And one, one of the patterns in all of this is we're losing access to cash. Um, and yeah. uh, that's really one of the names of the games here. They don't want to use cash. They don't want to circulate it. And we're going to have a, events and scenarios like natural disasters. We're going to have floods and f bushfires and things. And the economy is going to grind to a halt um, if these online systems don't work. And some people say, well, that's just, you know, the way, we, way things are heading, it's unavoidable. But there is, uh, someone has to look out for the question of, the, the, you know, the, the little guy, mm. the socially disadvantaged, and they need to have something. One other point. The banks are using Bank at Post, except for ANZ, but they probably might um, come on board at some point. Bank at Post is a public... Uh, Australia Post is a publicly owned company. Mm. They're providing banking services to the big four banks and the other banks, but we know that it's half the cost that you know Christine Holgate negotiated. Well, we, we've heard and we suspect. We haven't got concrete confirmation... But the banks are paying half of what they used to mm. for the services supplied by a public company. And yet the banks are closing more branches and relying on them more. Mm. So if someone's for true competition, if someone's genuinely for good economic free markets, why are the banks piggybacking off a public company to mm. run their services mm. and do their job? What if you're an old lady, you need some help with your banking? It's going to be the post office staff that help them, well, not yeah. the banks, to do banking. So mm. there's a problem here. He's fixing. Yeah, it does. Um, and speaking of that, you know, there was another person in Seymour that put forward a testimony saying they, um, it was a pensioner and they said they put the wrong ID in their internet mm. banking and got locked out. Um, now, they were on the phone for an hour to ANZ and then they were told they had to go to the bank with, an, with identification, they had to show identification in person to get um, solve, resolve the problem. But, of course, because the local branch had closed, they had to drive to Roxbury Park, as we said before, uh, over an hour in traffic. And when they went in, it took two seconds to fix. So that face-to-face -face service, um, which is another one of the um, complainants who was a psychologist with 35 years' experience, put it, um, in another one of these tweets, said, look, this is, a, this is a question of basic access and equity for vulnerable members of society. And I wanted to come to that because um, there's been inquiries and we've reported on them, many inquiries into this question of banking as an essential service in the past. Um, for example, in 1999, 
and I'm, I'm doing this with reference to members of the current Labor government, specifically mm -hmm. the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and Penny Wong, the Foreign Minister. So in mm -hmm. 1999, this inquiry of which Anthony Albanese participated, he was a backbencher at that time, was uh, looking at regional banking closures. It was The final report was put out, was called Money Too Far Away. Mm -hmm. And it highlighted submissions at that time from the local government Shires Association and the National Farmers Federation that insisted banks had an obligation comparable to electricity and water utilities because people can't function today in modern society without access to banking. Now, the final report recommended that closed branches, quote, will be expected to leave behind some form of over-the-counter service that allows access to cash deposit and withdrawal facilities for personal and small business customers. But then, um, so this was under a Labor majority, but the Howard government added the words, if viable, they should do that, leave behind some other service, if viable. So of course the Bankers Association took that to mean, oh, we can just ignore that because it ain't viable. Mm. And of course today, the, the definition of a bank is that it's meant to provide cash, like change mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. a float and so forth, you're coming in with the business takings and you need to restock your till with notes and various denominations, um, but they don't, such as the Seymour branch that wouldn't even accept a deposit of cash on a particular day. I mean, you have people like my mum runs a pub in a country town mm -hmm. and they would bank their takings every day. Now the bank's open two days a week, but she said the other day, look, if, if one of the people is sick, which has been a lot of sickness around lately, the bank just doesn't open. So what mm. do you do? You're sitting on these takings. That so, does mean that we're going into, you know, temptation and opportunity. Oh, yeah. um, if there's uh, a lot of people sitting on large amounts of cash and they can't deposit it in a bank secure place, um, you know, we could see potentially a, a lot of um, crime arising from that, thefts and so on. Uh, it's not out of the, out of the question, with, no. you know, where things are heading, people Long. having to hold on to their, you know, large amounts of cash. Because the banks aren't providing that service. Now, mm. there was a 2004 Parliamentary Joint Committee on Corporations and Finance Services, and Penny Wong was the deputy chair of that. And that final report headlined, Money Matters in the Bush, concluded, quote, access to a basic banking service is an essential service that all Australians should have affordable and ready access to a deposit account that receives funds and can be used to make payments. And the ALP on that occasion added an additional comment at the end of the report, so this was their extra that they wanted taken record, taken note of, saying that Labor supported the introduction of community service obligations on banks, but, quote, the ALP has signalled its preparedness to re-regulate the banks if they do not agree to meet appropriate voluntary community service obligations. Well, okay, you said it. What are you going to do about it? Mm. You're in government now. We need to re-regulate these banks. And one of the best ways to re-regulate them is to have a competitor on the market, as we've been mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. but well, I think there's something. Um, maybe we'll put that quote up on screen for a little longer yeah. because I think... That's the sort of thing you want to quote to these members of parliament when you call them. When you call Jim Chalmers, your party, uh, do you remember when you said this? Yeah. Do you remember when you said that? It's like, well, grow a pair. This is the time where we need to have um, some pushback on these big four banks. Yeah. And it's, it's the buck stops with Jim Chalmers. He yeah. is the treasurer uh, and 
he's the one who can pick up the phone and read the riot act to these guys. Mm. Um, and, you know, just ask the question, what would Ben Chifley do in this situation? What mm. would John Curtin do? What would uh, many of our old, uh, old uh, Labor country party, Liberal party uh, MPs do in this situation? Mm. Um, that's, uh, that's where I would, yep. you know, encourage everyone to take, take notes down on this last half an hour's discussion and get to calling because yeah. it's, what, it's what you guys do out there that make our work... Uh, you know, results. Get traction, yeah, yeah, it gets traction, exactly. And um, just remember too, we are pushing for a real inquiry into regional mm -hmm. bank closures, which would include, in the terms of reference, uh, the postal bank solution. That is, we don't, there's no opportunity to do that, to finish that job of getting that called this year, but it's top of the agenda for next year and this is this campaign, mm -hmm. these calls are a primer for making that happen in yep. the new year. The pot is simmering. Yep, yeah. <laughs> we'll get it on the boil shortly. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to move to our next topic. Time for a real nuclear debate. Now, what we want to talk about here is that, um, you know, everyone thinks, okay, there has been a nuclear debate um, the decision's been made, Australia's not going to have nuclear. I mean, it's, it's illegal to have a nuclear industry in this country at the current time. Mm. But what we want to say is that the terms for the debate on having a nuclear power industry have been completely fraudulent. And this week, the South Australian Labor Premier, Peter Malinowskis, made reference to that. I mean, he, he said, it strikes me as starting to become one of these polarised debates that has been consumed by the culture wars rather than an evidence-based discussion. Um, and, and that hits the nub of the issue, really, because it's come into the realms of ideological, you know, who's of what faction, left or right, it's a black and white thing you're either for and against, where you can't actually get into the interstices of the real questions that need to be discussed um, so that people are confident that nuclear energy in its modern form is perfectly safe. And you do see a lot of young people that we find, um, mm -hmm. the new generation, mm -hmm. and partly because they're concerned about the questions of carbon emissions and things like that, that yeah. they've looked themselves more closely at nuclear energy and they're quite uh, happy with it. But Malinowska said that um, because we're going to be starting to build nuclear-powered submarines at the Osborne Naval Shipyard in South Australia under the AUKUS deal, you know, which is not good, but one side mm. effect he mm. mentioned is that this could go a long way to allaying some of the fears that exist around safety. He said, I think it'll demonstrate that the safety concerns are more based on things from decades and decades ago. Um, it might help bust a few myths, he said. I've always thought that the ideological opposition that exists in some quarters to nuclear power is ill-founded. Mm -hmm. Uh, nuclear power is a source of baseload energy with zero carbon emissions. So for someone like myself who is dedicated to a decarbonisation effort, I think we should be open-minded to these technologies and I think it would be foolhardy to have a different approach. Now, he was jumped on and then later he told seven, the 7.30 uh, report that he... They went after him, huh? ..that he wasn't, you know, <laughs> suggesting we should add nuclear to the mix, rah, rah, rah. But he said what he said. Well, I had a conversation with a, a Labor party senator a few weeks ago and I put him on the spot on the nuclear debate and he said well I've got a bunch of things I'm working on fighting for in parliament and if I stick my head up over the trench on that it's going to be blown off <laughs> by my colleagues by my own party so yeah. he had an awareness that you know and the way he said it was pretty veiled like I got the sense he supports nuclear this this particular senator 
but I'm not sticking my head up over the trench to have it blown off by my own side, my mm. own uh, Labor colleagues. Um, and I see here, you know, nuclear subs, nuclear weapons, yeah, monumental waste of time, money, ridiculous, we shouldn't do that. Um, we don't need to do that. And, and much better ways you can defend in Australia than, you know, gigantic uh, elephants, white elephants that are going to never uh, eventuate like nuclear subs. But nuclear power is good for the nation. So we've got to differentiate between mm. the, the, the bad and, and the sensible. Um, Elisa, I just want to say, I mean, there's this, this idea of where's nuclear at in the world because we're, we're a bit isolated here in Australia when it comes to, you know, what we get as media. But I'll just run through some numbers. Uh, right now there are 60 uh, nuclear reactors under construction around the world. There's 103 that are planned. There's 437 in operation. Mm. Every G20 country and every first world country in the world has an allowance for nuclear technology, nuclear power, except one. <laughs> and that's Australia. We are the black wow. sheep of nuclear technology. We have a, a ban on nuclear power. Uh, and it's, it's uh, ridiculous. It, but what we're seeing here is uh, the South Australian Premier had some very uh, sensible things to say. We need to have a discussion. We need to look at nuclear technology in the form of power as an, uh, an alternative, and he got shot down. Mm. And that's, th that's got to stop. But it's what we're seeing from the likes of, uh, well, you could read them out or I could read them out. Um, Albanese said the other day um, the following, he said, I haven't changed my view that it's a nuclear is a huge distraction from what we need to do. It just doesn't add up. That essentially the problem every five years or so we have this economic analysis of whether nuclear power stacks up and every time it's rejected. Uh, Tanya Plibersek said um, it is slow to build and is really expensive. Mm. All this nonsense about small-scale nuclear reactors and every, sum and every summer, I don't know if there are people on your street who want a nuclear reactor in the local park. <laughs> Um, you know, that's well, just bringing it into the realm of ridiculousness. Because well, sorry, I don't know if Tanya's qualified to say much about nuclear technology or, or whether she's... But what, what are these guys doing? It's, it's childish emotional mm. arguments. Yeah. Bring the nuclear physicists in. Bring the researchers in. I'll just mention this. This was published recently by the University of Queensland, what we would be required. A very, very thoughtful... Uh, this is a research team... PhD students, professors, you can check the citations, it's incredible. And they come out calling for nuclear in Australia by the 2030s. Mm -hmm. They say this is how we could get there. These are the steps that we can take. And it's very, very measured. Um, listen to these guys. Mm -hmm. They're the ones in the industry that know it backwards, not politicians who are trying to appeal to some, mm -hmm. you know, fear from, you know, decades gone by. We can't afford that. Well, one of the big um, planks which came out in both Albanese and Plibersek's um, quotes there, mm. one of the planks that they used to rule it out is the cost. It's not cost efficient, it's too expensive. And that's one of the things that's challenged in this report, um, which states that, you know, what people don't think about in terms of renewables uh, is that you have to replace them every 10 or 15 years or so. Mm. And we're coming up to... In, by 2050, everything that we currently have is going to have to be replaced. And there's a spectrum of cost to do that between $75 billion to $350 billion. And this report said 
at the lower, the, doing a fleet of nuclear small modular reactors would come in the, at the lower end of that spectrum. So it's cost effective compared to replacing everything else we've currently got that has to be done anyway. Um, the other factor is, and this was looked at by uh, the South Australian Royal Commission on the nuclear fuel cycle that happened in 2016, um, and we wrote this up, we can put a link to it there because um, Chris Bowen had said um, just in the last couple of years he was going on about how renewables are the cheapest form of energy to build. But he was citing a report which included in the assumptions was the cost of capital, which has come down a lot for building renewables because it's the popular thing to do, but he was also, the report was also citing figures that averaged out the cost of building renewables all around the world, and it included places like Qatar and South, uh, Saudi Arabia, which are running, you know, in the middle of the desert, solar power um, arrays and mm -hmm. so forth, mm -hmm. but that are connected into state-owned power grids and so forth. So they were calculating on a cost of capital that was around 3%, whereas when the Nuclear Royal Commission in South Australia ruled out the use of nuclear energy because it's too expensive, they were calculating the capital cost at 10%. So the fraud that's built into this debate to rule that's, it out is too expensive. It's quite an important footnote, the difference between financing uh, a project at 10% interest versus 3 or 2% interest. Yeah. Uh, and there's a big difference between funding something through... Uh, public credit and public uh, funding mm -hmm. versus private funding. I mean, the ratings agencies will, you know, uh, put different risk profiles on something that's uh, backed by sovereign and government-funded enterprise versus private. Mm. So all these factors come in, but uh, you don't see that in the um, in the talking points from politicians. They picked a deliberately a miss, uh, deliberately obscure and, and a wrong representation of mm, nuclear mm. Uh, to shoot it down on the cost. And I think, you know, we've got an open door um, in mm. this country because of the energy crisis and so forth, which the energy crisis, which shouldn't be because we've got plenty mm. of energy. Um, but, you know, Victoria, for instance, is going to um, create a public body again, the old SEC, for renewables to be, you know, promoted by the government. Now, mm. That could include nuclear because of the low emissions. It's, you know, so-called renewable, really. Um, also this week, what was put forward in terms of legislation by the Albanese government, which was um, elaborated by the Minister for Industry and Science, Ed Husig, is the establishment of a national reconstruction fund. Now, it's a measly $15 billion fund at this point, but it's built on the model of the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which in early 2020 we proposed could be the model for a national bank to fund the kind of infrastructure we need. You know, they can easily expand the amount of money if they use the principles of national credit. Um, and Ed Husick even said that this body will be empowered to invest through a combination of loans, guarantees and equity. That would include institutional investors, private equity and venture capital. Um, but he went on to say... There are still some people with a rusted-on sense that when it comes to industry policy, governments should not pick winners, that governments should only be considered as investors of last resort, intervening when the market has failed. What a diminished view of the role of government. Well, mm. good on you for, for saying that. Now, Husick did state 
that this can be utilised for clean energy generation, right? So we have the perfect opening here to rebuild this country. We need mm -hmm. cheap power. We can do it in a publicly run capacity. Yeah. Uh, when I was speaking to some of the young people who've signed and supported our petition lifting the ban on nuclear power, I find that there's more maturity, understanding of the technology for some of these uh, year 12s and uh, university students than from the politicians making these bizarre and ridiculous comments. Um, I do think that the most important factor is the question of funding. We need nuclear power publicly owned, publicly run, are publicly financed. Mm. Uh, and if we do that, then uh, it's no question of uh, cost. I mean, some of the most expensive things in Australia were have big capital costs. The Snowy Hydro scheme and um, rail and, and other infrastructure. But once it's built, it's there. Mm. Um, coming back to looking at nuclear, yes, it, it costs a bit up front, but then you've got 75 years on average, 70, 75 years of reliable power. Yeah. And it's all the things, it's all the costs you don't get presented with with solar and wind. Yes, it's cheap to make at the start, but then the replacement um, after, uh, you know, the shorter lifespan, mm. um, then you have all the things like you've got to have transmission to the grid. You've got to uh, make sure that the... Uh, there's no surges, which means you've got to get the, the power phasing right. So mm. it's um, it goes into the wall and goes into the grid at the stable levels. Intermittent supply Yeah, issues. intermittence. Uh, all of these things uh, are a factor. And all and look, what about the question of land area use? Mm. You know the you know uh, you know the, the equivalent power um, of one small modular reactor could be as much as five hundred. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, one kilometer, one square kilometer could be the equivalent of five hundred square kilometers with, with renewables. So, we um, we have to take all of that on board, and then also think with um, stable, reliable power. You've got the industry reliability. You've got process heat, and you've got um, the desalination potential. All of these things, and that report from the University of Queensland said, look, think of all the the the, the broader factors, not just how much. Uh, you know, not once you've got all the windmills and solar panels operating, mm. but everything else in the in the entire economy, and then nuclear is by far the winner. Mm. Um, so uh, I think uh, uh, for those who are passionate about this and made it to the end of the program, uh, there is a bill at the moment in the Senate um, uh, put forward by uh, was voted up uh, in October by. Uh, it's a bill to lift the ban on nuclear power, sponsored by Matt Canavan and Alex Antic. Um, it's uh, taking uh, inquiry submissions from yeah. the public until the 16th of January. Mm -hmm. uh, this being one of the last programs of the year. If you would like to put an, uh, a submission into that inquiry to lift the ban on nuclear power, um, do so. Please mm. do so, and the details will be uh, below and uh, in the in the notes description. Yeah, and just to end off, uh, it's a good new role for our uh, envision, envisioned postal bank and I just wanted to point people to the Australian Alert Service where we have more detail on all these subjects but there's a very interesting article on the back page of this week's alert about the British Post Office Savings Bank which was established in 1861 um, and it was envisioned by the Treasury as a means to um, fund public spending because the money that was deposited in the bank was then borrowed by the Treasury to fund development of the country. So 
our conception is broader than just somewhere safe for people to put their deposits, having access to banking services and cash locally. You know, but this is the future of our nation we're talking about and we have to think big. So call us for a copy of the Australian Alert Service. You can subscribe to it to get it regularly uh, and get engaged, ring the treasurer, do whatever you can do. That is the last show for this year. We will be putting out other content, so keep one eye out. Uh, thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next year. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party Melbourne.